I'll start with a dad joke that I heard last week, and it's pretty bad, I'll warn you. But where was King Solomon's temple located? It was located on his head, of course. Anyway, um, for those who don't know me, <laughs> for those who don't know me, I'm Josh. Uh, it's a privilege to be here. Always love coming down to One Hope. You might have seen me at Generate before, or I think I've preached here in the morning as well. I also study down the road in one Turner, MST. Um, but yeah, always encouraged to come here and see what you guys are doing in the community. Um, this message this morning, it's not super Father's Day focused. However, we will be looking at the great model of Abraham, who is a forefather to us all. And so how about I pray for us before we get into it? Yes, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word, your truth. Lord, we acknowledge that you're here with us now, and we just pray that, uh, yeah, this message that is in your word, Lord, I pray that you can work in and through me, Lord, to, to preach your truth, you, not to me. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning that they may have ears to hear what you have for them. And Lord, I pray that, yeah, we can put away all of our distractions, what's coming up in this next week or what we've just experienced, um, and that we can just fix our eyes on you what you have for us now, Father. And so we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Which is a big Christianese word. And so what is justification? Justification is uh, being made right um, or being justified, having a clean slate from an immoral state. And for us Christians, that means uh, it refers to how we're made right in God's eyes from our original sinful nature. And so as we look at this topic, maybe it will be familiar to some of us and maybe it will be new to some of us. I encourage you, let's try and look at it with fresh eyes and be reminded of God's goodness this morning. And so growing up, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a bit of a conservative household and I was convinced when I was younger that playing footy on a Sunday meant that you weren't going to heaven. I wanted to play footy. I, I did Oz kick. I thought I was pretty good. Um, but I wasn't allowed to play footy on a Sunday because that's not what Christians do. That's what I got taught. I also got taught that, well, I didn't get taught, but I also thought in my head that those who didn't come to church on Sunday weren't going to heaven, that those who worked on Sundays weren't going to heaven, or even like topical things. I thought people with tattoos weren't going to heaven. Now, of course, none of these things are correct. And as a young boy, I was very curious growing up, and so I'd ask my parents these questions, which they probably got sick of after a while. And quite often, they would generalize and say, well, we don't do that, or as Christians, we don't do that. And their generalization or their preference uh, even though it wasn't fully correct, it meant that I took it on board as, okay, this is what it means to be identified as a Christian and to be made right in the eyes of God. But um, I knew from Sunday school, even though I sang, I knew there's got to be something more to just believing to be made right in the eyes of God. And so our Bible passage this morning, Galatians the church of Galatia was sort of having this mindset too. These Galatian churches were suggested to be mainly Jewish church plant from Paul and Barnabas. Um, and they'd received the good news about Christ's death and resurrection, 
but they were deserting it for what Paul calls a false gospel. And they were deserting this gospel due to a problem. This problem was that the church had a lot of troublemakers. And these troublemakers, they're often coined as Judaizers, and they were turning the gospel message into something that was a gospel with strings attached. And Paul says in Galatians 1.7 that it really wasn't a gospel at all because there was no good news in it. Now these strings attached to the gospel, these Judaizers, they were trying to add some of their Jewish customs such as circumcision. We get a few mentions and like indicators of what was going on. We can assume that there was probably more Jewish customs that they were pushing on the church as well. And even though they weren't enforcing the whole Jewish law, enforcing a portion of it meant that people were focusing on salvation based on these works of their own rather than on Jesus' death and resurrection. And now the, po- the church that Paul personally planted and was responsible for, he was hearing that they were throwing away the one thing that he preached to them. And he is not happy. In fact, this is probably... One of the strongest, I would say, the strongest letter of Paul that we see in the New Testament with the language he uses. And um, yeah, our passage today, Paul uh, argues to the Galatians and he, he argues based on two things. So if you're taking notes, we're going to be looking at how Paul argues the gospel based on experience and he argues also based on scripture. And so we're going to be looking at the first five verses, and I'm just going to read it again so that we're familiar with it. It's in our heads. So 3 verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now in this first part, Paul confronts them with a series of rhetorical questions that causes them to reflect upon their own experience. In Galatians 2, if you were to read the whole letter, he already states that you aren't saved by your works. You aren't saved by the law, you're saved by faith. And so he's already reinstated the whole point of this passage. Yet he's asking them these questions because he wants them to think for themselves based on their own experience. And he, he says these things like, after beginning by means of spirit, are you trying to finish by means of the flesh? And he says that the, the good news, it was clearly brought to them and they received the Holy Spirit. But he says to them, did you receive the Spirit by your deeds or from believing? Now these, these questions are quite obvious. The answers to them are quite obvious. And the Galatians, they would have known very well the answers to these things. But the Galatians had believed I'm sorry. And then Paul says, have you experienced receiving this good news for nothing then, if it really was in vain? Because they had treated the gospel as if it was a temporary fad and had moved back to their old way of living in their Jewish laws. And this whole section, this whole first little bit, Paul is implicitly begging the question, do you believe that Christ's 
death and resurrection was enough for your salvation or not. He either was the perfect atonement or he wasn't. Paul is saying you can't believe in both of these things. You can't believe in the gospel as well as your own laws to save you. Christ was enough or he wasn't. And Paul knows that if they answer these questions honestly and properly, they'll see that they need to abandon this Judaizer's teaching and that the way that they're living doesn't really make sense according to the gospel message. And we see here Paul's use of this spirit and flesh terminology in these verses. It's a beautiful comparison between the Holy Spirit that we get in the New Covenant and the, the flesh signifying the Old Covenant that's been done away with because of Jesus. And under the Old Covenant, males would have the physical indicator as believers that they would be circumcised. And this is Paul's argument. And it's as if this gospel message to them had worn off, just like it does for us when something becomes old or used and the novelty wears off. We don't view something as good as it once was when we first got it. The Galatians are probably caught up in the flint, but a couple months later or years later when they, someone second-guessed their beliefs, they'll probably encourage back to their old way of living. Because surely you can't just be saved by faith, right? Surely you can't just be saved by believing. Nothing is ever free. In order to earn salvation, justification. I wonder if you remember when you first made that decision in your life, or maybe you grew up in a Christian family and so it wasn't such a, a one-time event, but it was this moment where you made the decision, hey, I'm going to follow Christ. And how in that moment... You felt sure, confident, or you had, maybe you had joy. Months later to think, am I really saved? Do I really still believe that? I think I speak on behalf of all of us when I say we've all wrestled with this question at different parts of my faith. Am I truly saved? I think also as Christians, personally, we can get stuck on this tricky topic of sanctification and being made perfect through the Holy Spirit, assuming that sometimes the start of our Christian walk, when we first believe in God, give our life to God, we're justified by faith. But then the rest of our life, we have to strive really hard to get our life sorted before God so we can keep that state of being justified. We can keep our salvation as if our salvation is like a Netflix subscription where the first month is free, but the rest we have to pay for ourselves. And that's not the case at all. Paul goes on to show that having faith and believing in the promise of God is enough for our justification in the eyes of God. And he moves from this argument of their own experience to this argument based now on Scripture. And... Yeah, I'll just read from verse 6. He introduces Abraham and he says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then 
Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the law. No one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham received the promised spirit through faith. And Paul introduces Abraham as part of his evidence behind why one is justified by their faith and not by means of the law. And this reference in verse 6 to Abraham is referring to Genesis 15. And just to refresh our minds, because I'm sure... So we've got Abram. God's told Abram to leave his home country. He promises him a great name, a great people, and a great land. Great name, great people, great land, yes. And, um, and he also promises that all the families on earth will be blessed in and throughout him. And so... I'm going to read a bit from Genesis 15 to what verse 6 is referencing. And I want us to pay attention because just like we do sometimes, doubt our salvation, doubt our justification, and doubt the promises that God has for us, so here Abraham is too. And so it says in Genesis 15, 2 to 6, we say, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And, the- and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul reminds the Galatians of Abraham, someone that they would have been very familiar with and they would have respected a lot. And he points out that when Abraham believed in the promises of God is when he was counted as righteous. Not because he just believed in God, he'd already encountered God a few times, but he believed in God as well as God's promises and that God was going to be faithful to his word. He didn't know how the promise was going to pan out. He was pretty old. He still didn't have kids and God was telling him that everyone was going to be blessed through him. But rather, he chose to have faith and trust in the promise of God that he would be faithful to his word. And God saw that faith and accredited it to him as righteousness. And so Paul is telling the Galatian church that acceptance from God based solely on one's faith is as old as Abraham. This isn't a new concept. He draws on how the gospel message is one that continues to be in sync with God's character from the Old Testament. And he links Abraham's righteousness with our justification, with the Galatians' justification. Now Abraham, the father of faith, lived in a time where there was not yet law to be established. So he had to hold on to faith and trust in God's faithfulness. And Paul calls the Galatians to do the same, to trust in the promise of salvation that the gospel message brings. 
But the Galatians, they were bewitched because they'd fallen under the curse of the law. In Galatians 3.10, it says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Now, this language is very strong from Paul. And we see that if you're going to rely on something, it means it's your make or your break. For you guys... You guys have confidence in the chairs you're sitting on. You're relying on them. If you didn't, you wouldn't be sitting on them. I have confidence and I rely on my car to drive me home safely. If we didn't hold confidence in these things, we wouldn't rely on them. And Paul is saying here, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. They had their confidence in the law. And this curse led him to hold the assurance in something that was never supposed to bring justification. We see that the law actually, although it did bring blessing, it also brought curses where we see faith only brings blessing. And these Galatians, they were relying on the law for their salvation. And Paul tells them that justification comes through faith. And this is because while... The law points them to their own works. Faith points them to Jesus and his great work. Paul reminds them that those who rely on this bring a curse upon themselves because they've missed the greatest truth of all. It's evident that throughout Paul's letter... He's very Jesus-focused. He starts off by mentioning Jesus was clearly portrayed to them, and he talks later about Jesus becoming the curse. And so he's hitting the Galatians. When people were executed in the Old Testament, it was generally by stoning. When someone was hung on a tree, it was labeled as divine rejection. You had to be the worst of the worst. And in Deuteronomy 21, 23, it says, Anyone who dies this way is cursed. They're righteous in the slightest. And Paul reminds them of this connection and the importance of it, making the connection that they would have been very familiar with, reminding them that Jesus' sacrifice, he was on a cross. He was hung on a tree. He was put in the position of divine rejection, seen as that we were supposed to take. Christ became the curse so that we might be freed from it, so that the Galatians might be freed from it, so that all who build their life and rely upon Christ in faith will be justified and saved. It can be easy to read passages like this and see the flaws in the Galatians thinking and be like, oh, well, they're silly for thinking that. Like, we wouldn't do that. But when you reflect on your own life, on your own Christian walk, on your own church, we can sometimes fall into a similar trap. We accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. But similarly, similarly, how they neglected the truth of justification. We as churches, as Christians, can sometimes neglect the truth that the gospel brings because of our so-called laws that we hold on to. 
whether those laws look like attending church every week, tithing every week, reading your Bible every day. Whatever we view in our mind is what it looks like to be a Christian, to be justified in the eyes of God. Whenever we get caught up in these issues is when we easily find ourselves getting legalistic and lost within a system that forgets the heart of the gospel and what is required for us in our faith. Tithing's a great thing, going to church, great thing, reading your Bible, great thing. I encourage you all to do that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. But what I'm saying is when we depend on these things for our salvation, for our justification, is when we become cursed like the Galatians because we're focusing on our efforts. When we depend on our own efforts, our own works, is when we believe in this pseudo-type salvation where we believe that only our own choose to read our Bibles. And we can clearly see here that salvation is dependent on Christ's sacrifice alone and whether or not we believe that. And when we do believe that, we enter into that promise of salvation, just like how Abraham, when he believed, he entered into that promise that all nations would be blessed through him, even though he... So often we can know this and we can know that our works don't save us, but we can still live our lives subconsciously as if it does because we like to take ownership. We don't like charity. We take great pride in earning things. But we can't let our pride get in the way of our salvation. After this message, what is the bottom line that you rely on? Does your assurance of your salvation come from faith in Christ and what he achieved at the cross? Or does your assurance rely on how you live your life and the efforts that you have? Now, some people will probably come up to me after the service asking about James because he talks about something a bit different in regards to this topic. And I just want to encourage you that, that James and Paul, they're talking to two very different people, audiences with two very different issues. And so... If you do have questions, feel free to talk to me afterwards because those two writers are more um, comp- complement each other more than you probably think they do or that you've heard. From Paul uh, in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, where he tells the Ephesians, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that none can boast. Church, let us this morning not be complacent and come to the point where we become bewitched like the Galatians. They thought that they were honouring God, but they'd neglected the gospel. And sometimes we can do that too. If we believe in the promise that the gospel message brings and we enter into that, we don't have to worry about our deeds because they'll be a natural byproduct of our love for Christ. In fact, Paul talks on in Galatians 5, 6 that it's not about our deeds, but it's about faith working through our love for Christ. And that's an active thing. Faith is an active thing. It's a natural byproduct. And I I don't know about you, but sometimes I can find it hard to uh, have gratitude sometimes or have love But the more we read his word and the more we focus on him, the easier it gets.
And that's why it's so important to be a part of a Christian community so we can remember this truth. But at the end of the day, our works cannot be the thing that we stand upon on the day of judgment, undermining the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus paid for each one of us to be justified and reconciled to God. So what do you rely on for your salvation? Where is all your hope placed? Let me pray. Yes, Lord, we thank you for your word, your truth. Lord, we thank you for your son who you gave to die on a cross, Lord, to take our place. Lord, we know that he wasn't deserving of that. We know that we deserve that place, God. Christ is sinless, righteous, perfect, while we are sinful, unrighteous. And Lord, we can be so quick to desert you in your truth. So Lord, we thank you for that this morning. Lord, we thank you that we have role models such as Abraham that we're able to look back on and see the faith that he had and the trust that he had in you that you are going to be faithful to your word. And Lord, I pray for us this morning as we go out. Lord, help us in our faith, in our belief, in our trust in you. Help us to hold on to that promise and to enter into it knowing fully that you are a faithful God. And Lord, you are so faithful to us. And we are eternally grateful for that. So we thank you and we love you, Lord. Amen.